Good day, magnificent podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you as always. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're doing fantastic. Sending you a massive energetic hug through the airwaves. We have a tremendous episode of the podcast for you today. We have Karen Salmonson on and we've entitled this one, How to Live Happier, Longer and Inspired. Uh, Karen has an amazing story from going from being a stressed out VP and award-winning desire uh, designer turned into a best-selling author and longevity research geek. Uh, She has sold over 2 million copies of her books internationally. She's amazing. We talk about a lot of great stuff in this episode. We talk about three ways people change their lives, why fun is a superpower, creating a grand quest. Uh, She has an incredible story about meeting uh, Marissa Tomei. It's like something out of Seinfeld or uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's amazing. Uh, Why being happy helps you live longer. Uh, Instant calm by using sensory meditation, stop versus swap technique, uh, food meditations, why sugar is sneaky sabotaging devil, uh, how cinnamon can help you crave sugar less. I have like 60 bullet points here. There's so much stuff in this episode. I know you're going to love it. If you like it, please share on your Instagram, tag me at Matt Belair, put it in your story, share on Facebook, uh, leave a review in iTunes. All of that is absolutely incredibly helpful. I want to thank Jacqueline Willette and Andrew Michael for tossing a buck in the bucket on Patreon. It doesn't need to be a lot. It just needs to be a lot of people tossing in just like $1, something you don't even think about. So if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. Toss a buck in the bucket. It helps tremendously. Please take a moment to leave a review in iTunes. It helps tremendously with the rankings and all that kind of stuff. Let people know that it's a good podcast to listen to with all the other amazing content out there. Um, And But the best and most important thing you can do if you want to support the show is one kind act for someone else even better three kind acts even better than that three kind acts a day for a week go out of your way to do it take the kindness challenge encourage your friends to take the kindness challenge and uh, tag it on Facebook let your friends know you're doing it Um, let's make kindness go viral that would be incredible and the best thing that you can do if you want to support the show for those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you really want to do a deep dive in uncovering your life purpose being more happy fulfilled learning peak performance performance, consciousness, meditation, mindfulness, and everything like that under the sun, hit me up, mattbelair.com forward slash coaching, fill out the form, or just make an inquiry, matt at zenathlete.com. Happy to work with you. And if you're already in an organization, you want to do some staff training around mindfulness, peak performance, sales, whatever the case is, everything that we study on the podcast is broken down into simple techniques that create incredible results. So if you want to dive deeper with me, just hit me up. Be happy to do that. I want to thank my sponsor today, Procabulary. They are amazing. Um, if the magic of words and the power of story fascinate you, then studying Procabulary is a must. If you want to learn one of the easiest and practical systems to get more focused and confident with what you think and say, taking this course is your next move. You will experience more confidence, better focus, clearer purpose, better relationships, stronger presence at work, increased performance, and so much more. I took this course. It is with Mark Ingram. 
England. We do a deep dive in episode 96. I have studied word uh, and neuro-linguistic programming. I've done so many personal development courses, and this one is epic. And if you go over to that site and you want to take it, use the code WORDMAGIC, and you will get $100 off the course. Um, take it if you hate it. Um, I'm pretty sure they have a money-back guarantee. You can you can send me a note and say, Matt, that was baloney, um, but I've taken it. So many other t- people have taken it, like Mike Bloodsoe, and it is really a simple and very powerful course in language, and it will benefit you in many ways. So uh, I'm grateful to have them sponsoring the show today, and I invite you guys to check them out. So that's about it. Uh, head over to mattbelair.com and go to forward slash lucid dreaming if you want a free lucid dreaming book and guided meditation. Um, check out the Zen Athlete book and uh, the program there as well. You do not need to be an athlete. It is literally a course in self-mastery. There are meditations, guided visualizations, um, and and a video course going through all levels of peak performance and how to uh, uncover your dream and make it a reality in the same way an extreme sports athlete learns how to do a trick that has never been done. So if you apply that to your daily life, uh, you are going to be definitely a step above the rest in understanding what to do to create your reality. So I'm going to stop yammering and uh, let's get into today's episode. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly with all the cares, all the worries of the day, filling yourself with peace, joy, compassion, energy, abundance, and ready to take on this incredible episode with Karen Salmonson. Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a former stressed out advertising VP and award-winning designer turned healthy living expert best-selling author, and longevity research geek. After leaving her successful career in the advertising industry, she stepped out on her own as a writer and a designer of books. She became a multi-best-selling author, having sold over 2 million copies of her books internationally and has gained a loyal following of almost 2 million people. At the age of 50, she realized another dream when she gave birth to her first child. She has been profiled in the New York Times, Business Week, the LA Times, Time Magazine, and many more. In her book, Life is Long, she shares a collection of 50 plus of the best nutritional and psychological tools for a long and healthy life, each backed by a wide range of research from the world's best aging experts. Welcome to the show, Karen Salmonson. Great to be here. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I looked at your books. You've written, how many books have you written? I just scrolled through the page and I love the titles of each <laughs> book. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, I don't even know where we're going to start today. Oh, I know. I Well, I started off, I've written, I think like over 40 books. It's Holy crazy. Crap. Some of them are little, like I did board books for like uh, babies, like baby's first art words. Wouldn't you be a proud parent if your baby's first words were not mama and dada, but but moma and dada, like, you know, so I teach the kids um, art words. So I did those, those were little and I've done humor books and did a novel. And then I wandered into this world of what I call self-help for people who wouldn't be caught dead doing self-help because I merged um, humor feisty humor with stylish design because I also am a designer and I love design. Amazing. Yeah. In your books, I, I love the titles. They're all very captivating. So you're definitely good at what you do in the book covers. The next time I write a book, I'm going to have to reach out to you to 
how you design it and, and make it captivating. But um, you're a former advertising executive. You know, you're in New York, so you're kind of crushing life in that scenario. Um, uh-huh. One point, anyway. So, do you want to give the audience a little bit of background on who you are, how you transitioned, and what you're working on today? Sure. Um, well, I grew up loving books and loving psychology and loving humor. And I used to read like a lot of Psychology Today magazines and Mad magazines were big when I was a kid. And I, I kind of joke if you put Psychology Today and Mad magazine in a blender and pressed frappe, you'd get my books because I love merging. People learn better when they're in a playful, funny state of mind. So I even gave a TEDx talk on that called Fun is a High Performance Fuel, where I had all these studies, how humor and playfulness help people to retain information better. So I merged my books with humor and then the stylish design. Um, My first published book was a novel uh, that I sold to Miramax. And it was, uh, I wrote the screenplay, but it never got greenlit. And then I wrote some funny sitcom type scripts. I lived in LA for a while. And then I decided I was reading a lot about Buddhism and I was studying yoga and meditation and a lot of self-help books. And I realized I was slightly embarrassed to be reading them. So sometimes I'd rip off the cover in a cafe and read them. And I also wanted to recommend them to friends, but I felt like they'd be insulted, like, here, you need to read this self-help book. So the ex-advertising chicken, me thought, you know, there should be like self-help that you could give to a friend as a gift and they're not going to punch you, like you're not, you know, insulted. Or self-help that you can leave out on a coffee table proudly that you want to read in a cafe. So I decided to write this, which at the point, that point wasn't really around. And I wrote my first book like this was called How to Be Happy, Damn It. And it had the word damn it in the title. And my agent was like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is what I want. And it was all designy and everything. And then it, we sent it out to the publishing world and there was a bidding war on it. And then it came out and it was Urban Outfitters bestselling book for a couple years in a row. And now there's so many self-help books with crazy titles with curse words in it that my damn it seems like so like calm and, and moderate compared to some of the book titles that are out now. But this was back in um, 2001 when I did that one. And then I kind of went on to do other books that were merging humor and design. And it makes it, you read it and I make complicated things easy and fun and doable is kind of what I think one of my strengths are. I read the boring stuff. I am a research geek. So I do all the, the reading of plowing through all this dense research. And then I write it up with humor and I kind of chop it up and to little small chunk steps so you feel like I can do this. That's amazing. Well, I love all that. And I, I love your analogy. I remember reading uh, Mad Magazine when I was a kid and, and thinking I was really young. So I was like, oh, this is like, I don't know, bad material, like The Simpsons, you know, really young where your parents are like, I don't know about The Simpsons or you get your yeah. first magazine. But I totally agree. And I love what you said about, um, what was it? Not fun. Fun is a superpower of comedy. Yeah. Funny? Yeah, fun is a high performance fuel. Right. People learn better when things are playful and there's humor. Sometimes um, there's been studies that some of the late night shows where they they kind of find the humor in the news. 
people can learn about what's going on in the world sometimes better from these funny late night shows than from the serious news reporters because their mind is like more open. They're hearing it in a funny way and, and they're more open to receiving it and retaining it and learning. So um, that's kind of what I try to do. Yeah, hundred percent. You always learn more quickly when you are having a good time. You're more receptive. I'm sure there's a lot of studies around brainwave states and how much information you're taking and all that. I'm sure you can find study after study on that. Um, and I think it's important to note that you 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 touched on it too. You were you were doing really well in a in a vice president role, but then what was the point? Like, I know there's a lot of people out there that listen to the podcast and they're in a job like that's secure, you know, and 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 it's and that's good. And, but they want to do something else and they're afraid. So I'm wondering if you could just briefly on like how you were able to make your transition and let go of all that security, all that, you know, money, all of the, all of the stuff and be like, okay, I'm going to now have the guts to go towards, you know, something new, something that is more probably pulling or inspiring for you. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I definitely want to inspire people to pursue their passions. I was in advertising. I was doing very well. I was like, I got a Clio, uh, my first like six months in the business. I really lucked out and I, I was making a lot of money. I wound up being promoted and promoted. I was like a senior vice president, creative director in my late twenties. And I was really unhappy. There was a lot of politics, which I didn't like. I used to joke that I could drink a glass of water and have it spurt out the knife holes in my back because there was so much politics. Um, and I, and also not only that, there was so much focus group stuff and, and the clients being afraid of like the feisty stuff that I, I always like to write feisty. And, um, I remember two things kind of inspired me like, this is it. I gotta go. One is my art director, uh, and I got assigned a commercial, a TV commercial for Kraft Mayonnaise, um, on the same day that he found out his wife was pregnant. So what happened was we were writing our craft mayonnaise commercial. It was going through testing and rewriting. And it turns out his wife gave birth to the child before we gave birth to the TV commercial. That it's easier to, pr- to produce a live human being with a little cute little toes and fingers than a TV commercial because of all the focus groups. So I was like, man, okay, there's something wrong here. And then, then the other one was also, oh my gosh, well, there were a couple of these, but this one in particular is working on Purina uh, Cat Chow. And they wanted to do a song based on, I don't even know if people know this one now because it was so long ago, but they used to have a song, Purina Cat Chow, Chow, Chow. Chow, chow. Do you remember that where the cats used to dance? Or maybe this is so long ago. I remember you don't remember all the Purina commercials. <laughs> it was like classic back then, the Purina yeah. cat chow, 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 chow. And then they'd make the cat look like it was dancing. And I'd written uh, songs based on this, like uh, that were based on like actual songs about dancing. Like you make me feel like dancing, you know, it was anyway, but they were saying that it had to be, chow, chow, chow. And then mine was chow, 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 chow. Like I had six, but the four and a two versus three. And I was just like, okay, I cannot do this. And I went out to dinner with my, my boyfriend at that point that night. And I was like really upset. And he's like, Karen, 
this is cat food. Do you realize there are people in this world that are like starving? They're, you know, the world is in trouble. And he, we just had this conversation and somehow or other, that was the clunk that I'm so upset about something that's so superficial and that I really wanted to do something more with my creativity. And instead of inspiring people to buy this cat food, I want to inspire people to think in new ways. So I guess I reached what I say in the self-help business is crisis pain. That there are two ways, well, actually three ways, I believe, that people change their lives. One is crisis pain, where the pain just gets so great. Like if you're smoking and you're in denial, but then, God forbid, you get an illness from it. That's crisis pain. Or a relationship just like gets obviously abusive. So that's crisis pain. Um, the second is um, the love of somebody that's of a higher uh, higher level love, like um, where you feel like they inspire you to be your best self. Like Jack Nicholson in the movie, As Good As It Gets, where he says, you make me want to be a better man. And actually as a mom to my child, I get inspired by my son to keep wanting to change, to be my best self, to be my best role model for him. So, um, and then the third way is you just create a grand quest that is just so... Um, sparkly and exciting and wonderful that you want to change. And so maybe it was a little bit of crisis pain and then a little bit of, I had created a grand quest. I had started to write a novel and I started to really fall in love with my novel and believe in it. So between the cat food, the chow, 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 and starting the novel and really envisioning that, like being able to really visualize it and see it clearly and feel it was possible. So maybe I had like a little two out of three of those two things. So then I made the mistake of telling my parents, because I was like in my late 20s, mom, dad, I'm going to quit. I'm going to write my novel. And they talked me out of it. They kept talking me out of it for a long time. How could you quit? You're making so much money, which I was. And I, I thought to myself, you know, they say, how can you quit? You're doing so well. And I thought, you know what? In a weird way, that's how I can quit. If I can do well in something that I'm not passionate about, if I just apply whatever like principles of success that I'm doing here to something that I really want to do. Like if I had been sucking at advertising, I probably would have stayed in it because I would have been having fear mentality. Like I can't do anything. But I was thinking if I can do this, I can do that, you know? So I kind of had that mindset. And um, and then I also was in pain because it was just ridiculous between, you know, the people and the focus groups and the blah, 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 blah. So I quit and I didn't tell my parents for a couple of weeks. And then when it was too late, I told them I quit. And then I wrote my first book, my novel. And, um, and then I had to get an agent. So there's more there, which I could go on and on talking about. If you want me to, I'm happy to. But yeah, that's, that's kind yeah. of what kicked my butt. Um, so what happened was I wrote my novel and um, I was just really excited about it. I, I guess I didn't stay in a fear mindset. I stayed in a state of excitement. And I kept visualizing it being published. I would go to bookstores. My last name is Salmonson. And I would go to bookstores and 
envision my book on the bookshelf and I'd be like, okay, who's going to be my book neighbor and which books are going to be next to me? And I saw I'd be next to Salinger, J.D. Salinger, Catcher in the Rye. So I'm like, and I would visualize my book next to Salinger, Salmonson. And I was just like, must get published. And I was very excited. And I worked at the time freelancing at MTV. I got a job making some little bit of money on the side. And I was in an elevator one day. And I got in the elevator with this guy that I barely knew, but I was just so excited about my book. And we got into the elevator and he said, hey, how are you? What's, what's happening? Like, you know, just like saying it just to be polite because I didn't really know him that well. And I kind of just from enthusiasm said, I just finished my novel. I'm so excited. And I think people can feel that enthusiasm on you. And then that creates this energy, I think, where people want to help you. It wasn't like, oh, fuck, I can't find an agent. You know, I was like, I just finished my novel. I'm so excited. That's kind of just how I said it. And he, and then he said, oh, do you have an agent yet? I go, no, no, that's what I need to find right now. I need to find an agent. And he's like, well, would you like to be introduced to an agent? And I'm like, yeah. So by the time we landed in the lobby, I had an agent's name and phone number. And I joke that if MTV had been located on the fourth floor and not the 24th floor, because it took like 24 floors down to like get this thing going, um, I would not be published. So that was how I found my agent, just striking up a conversation in an elevator. So I also believe the more people you know, the luckier you are. But I wasn't even like asking him. I was just kind of like, in this happy, exuberant mode. And I guess he picked up on it. And so then I found my, my agent. And then when we sent out the book, and this is kind of helpful, even in, because this happened a long time ago. Um, we, I wanted to stand out from the crowd, maybe from being in advertising and everything. So we sent it out on a weekend, on a Friday, my agent and I, and we included um, a a beach towel and a bottle of suntan lotion. And we said, this will make some good uh, beach reading this weekend. And we sent out the book, the manuscript like that. And then we got an offer on Wednesday. So we did send it out on a Friday, but I think it stood out in, as they call like the slush pile, because we packaged it in such a way that they were like, oh, well, what's that? Like it was different you know, to come packaged with the beach towel and the suntan lotion. And then I left, you know, I left out and that became my editor. It was published by St. Martin's Press. But I have another story that I think might help people. Can I tell another one about how I sold it to the movies? Yeah, sure. Well, the only thing that I wanted to add on there that I think that was super important is, is um, it's interesting how the world, especially the people who love you, like your parents, are going to try to convince you to stay safe. They want, yeah. you to do, they want you to live life safely so that you stay within the known boundaries and you just continue on. Like you're going to keep having food and shelter rather than we don't really have a culture, especially with our close friends and even families that understand and support us for following our inspiration. And had you not done this, you wouldn't have written all these books. Is it wrote, written? Can you imagine? All these books helped so many people, but ultimately lived like an honored yourself. You know, it's just, you know, it's two different perspectives and it's so important to just encourage people to know that like, Hey, you can follow what you're passionate about. You can do this, you know, like go and create. But what really being forced upon us is like the safe route, the, you know, always just make the safe move, stay with yes. the boundaries and 
And so the fact that you did that and then you get into your joy and then that the agent story is like synchronicity. You're ba- that's what happens when you're in flow and you're in joy and you're having the courage to move forward. These things line up, but you'll only know that if you have the courage to do it. So you, you made a lot of great points there. So yeah, please continue. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. I, it's sort of interesting to me to hear it broken down like that in little insights because it's true. But back then I actually hadn't, I didn't really know I was doing that. I was, you know, it wasn't like now when I do things, I'm like mindfully using the principles that I've learned, but back then I was winging it. So you're thank God I, I, yeah, I mean, and I, it's funny as a parent now to um, a, an eight year old boy, I really want him to do a career that's true to him, you know? And every once in a while, he'll say a career that I get nervous about because I'm like, oh no. He's like, mom, I want to be a dancer. And then I like, I go into like, my, probably like the brain that my mother had was, no, it's so hard to make a living, you know? And then I'm like, wait, wait, wait let him, he needs to. So I'm like, okay, all right. You know, and I just have to watch myself and let him, you know, and I figure also he's eight. So, you know, we know. Is that the mother voice you go into when he does something that you're not so sure about? Oh no. I, that's inside of me. <laughs> yeah. <hands> go up. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. But I, I do want him, um, to really be, uh, true to himself because one's career is so much a chunk of your life. And I have relatives in my family who my son has met and he said, you know, I don't want to, I love everybody. So I want to name names, but he said, mom, I don't think X person is happy. And I, and then he said, you know, I think it's because X doesn't like his job. X is like, and he has it in his head. He knows that. So I, I do want him to find a career that he loves, but there is a mom thing in me that also wants him safe. So it's like this contract, when you become a mom, it's like, oh no, it's like my, you know, if I, if my son becomes me and I have to be mom to me, that's going to be a learning thing for me. You know what I mean? Like my rebellious son. So, um, but I do, I do believe that you have to be true to yourself. If there's one legacy I can give my my son as, as his parent is to know who his most authentic self is and to live a life that's true to that. And I don't want to do anything to block that. That's really important to me because of how I grew up. So um, so here's, here's the next story. Um, and then I want to get into my books too, but I think this will help people. So I just kind of going to go with it. Um, after I sold my novel to Miramax, I mean, even after I sold my novel to St. Martin's Press, I wanted to sell it to the movies because I thought, I mean, heck, I wanted, right? I wanted a movie deal. So I told my agent, let's send it out to the movies. And so he sent it out for a while and we couldn't, we couldn't sell it to the movies, but I did get a movie agent, a film agent. And the film agent said, I love your novel, but it's been too long. A year has gone by and uh, you have to sell it within a year. Otherwise you can't sell it. So write something new, write something new. But I really still wanted my novel to be you know, made into a movie. So I kept writing to him and saying, how about we send it to this actress or you know, this one, because the lead character was this, um, this petite, dark haired ethnic girl 
sort of like me, but the character in the novel had blue eyes and I have brown eyes. So it's, it was, it's not me. But um, I, so finally I said, how about we send it to Marissa Tomei? And he said, Karen, it's been a year, write something new. But I was determined and I saw that she was performing at a theater near us in, in New York. So I took my novel and I wrote a note and I put it in a manila envelope and I left it at the theater for Marissa Tomei. And my friends all thought like I was like overly positive, overly optimistic. She'll never look at it, blah, blah, blah. So a couple months later, I'm in my apartment. I remember I was eating a bagel and the phone rings and there's somebody on their line claiming to be Marissa Tomei and claiming that she read my novel and loved it. So my first instinct was, this is one of my friends playing a practical joke, just teasing me for my optimism. And so I thought, do I stop chewing my bagel in this like obnoxious friend's ear who's teasing me? And then I thought, well, just in case it's Marissa Tomei, I will stop chewing for a moment, you know? <laughs> and it turns out it was her. She had read the novel. She loved it. And she wanted to bring it to Miramax to option it, which is what happened. So to me, this is like another story of just, you know, staying with things. And I just want to share that. That's unbelievable. It sounds like something out of a movie that doesn't happen. It's just like, that's incredible. Right? It's you know? pretty crazy. It's, yeah. yeah. And, and all these stories too, though, you know, you're, you're touching on like just the courage, you know, like to, to follow yourself and be true to yourself if your son wants to be a dancer. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to leave a job that is secure and it takes courage to, to go and do that. But you're doing it from, a, from like a fearless place of just like joy. And that's the challenge. I don't know how you do that naturally. It's amazing. But, you know, all of these stories are really incredible. Um, so I'd love for you to, to talk about as well, like, and, and please add on to anything there if you want to continue. Yeah. But the Happy Damn It book, I think is important because a lot of people are stressed out. So I'd love for you to share with me how I could be happy, damn it, more oh, often. And okay. also your, your new book on longevity, because I know you've done a lot of, as you say, geeky research. And I am always looking to max things out. I want you know, maximum energy, you know, do I do this? Do I not do this? Do I eat almonds or do we, you know, what, what the heck am I doing here? So I'd love for you to uh, speak okay. about that. Okay. Um, well, I've written a lot of books on, on happiness and happiness research, and I'm really kind of like, uh, like obsessed with reading studies and there's so many, but after I did how to be happy, damn it. I also did, um, think happy and instant happy an instant happy journal. So I have a lot of books with the word happy in the title. Um, and from there, I, I wrote Life is Long, which is a longevity book, which no surprise, being happy helps you to live longer. And, um, and then my most recent book, and I'm going to bring it all together, but I'm just kind of mushing it here. I'm kind of organizing. Um, I did a book called Instant Calm, which has sensory meditations in it, which help you to be happy. So one of the, the most important things I would say is meditation, which is why I want to bring it back there. And meditation, meditation is a commonality in all of my happiness books, in my longevity book, and then obviously in my new book, Instant Calm, that you have to take um, time. I like to do it first thing in the morning to clear your mind, to meditate. In the same way that you would brush your teeth in the morning to get all the gunk off your teeth, 
Um, you should brush your mind every morning with meditation. And I know a lot of people think, oh, I don't have time to meditate. But even taking two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes to clear your mind can change the direction of your whole day. Um, and and I think that if you just even set your alarm five minutes early, if you're really like lazy about it, you can do it first thing in the morning while you're still in bed, while you're still in almost meditative state because you're still kind of sleepy with your eyes closed. Um, do a, a breathing meditation, do um, a, a scanning of your body meditation. There's a couple of them that I can give people. And then throughout the day, if you find yourself sort of in a, a place of overwhelm, to just take a minute and pause and, and do even a two-minute meditation, sort of the equivalent of like if your computer isn't working, if you unplug and replug. So just even a two-minute meditation in the middle, you need to be coming from a place. Your energy and your thoughts need to be clear and calm in order to um, stay positive, to stay optimistic. And I have so much more to say on that, but I'll let you dissect that if you want. I'll stop. For a moment. Oh, sure. Yeah, I was, I was writing down some points. I just wanted to kind of double down on the idea that meditating in the morning is so important because it does so many things. The first is it prevents that hamster wheel. If you wake up and you feel like you just got to go, 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 that's, that's our automatic response. Most people who don't meditate are kind of, they're just moving through the day. It's like wake up and then initiating tasks. First task, brush the teeth or get a coffee or put on pants or whatever the case is, but adding that little bit of space is so powerful. And then the other thing that I wanted to add is not everybody can meditate or they think that anyway. It doesn't need to be perfect. The idea is this moment of silence, but you can do a guided meditation. You can, you can begin and you have to practice it a little bit. And a lot of times you don't just shut off the brain and go into some magical oneness state. It's not like that. There are many different ways you can do it, but you need to practice this. It's like a skill. If you don't try to, I don't know, skip a rope in 20 years, it might be a little bit challenging. It might be challenging to garden at first. You just got to do it and then you'll get better at it. But the importance of that, because what it does is it's going to allow you space and awareness to stop and become more aware of when you're getting stressed out, when you're getting overwhelmed, when all these things are happening by adding those little gaps in there. So that's uh, all I wanted to share. Completely. And uh, that's why in Instant Calm, I, I start people out with just two minute meditations because I joke that it's easy to be a saint for two minutes but if you, if you try to be a saint for 30 minutes, like I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes, and then you think, oh, I suck at this. You're not going to try it again. But it's, it's okay. You can do something for two minutes, pretty much. And my, I was trying to, my son, who I, has been the best teacher for me. I love being a mom. I just love it. Um, sometimes he gets anxious about things. And um, so I would tell him, I tell my son, breathe, breathe. And he said, Mom, every time you say that, it just makes me more stressed because I kind of don't know what it means and I don't know how to do it and all of this. So I started to think about, well, how do you get, a, a, at that point, he was around six, how do you get a six-year-old to meditate? So I came up with a couple of ideas and some of them are good for adults, but one of them is good for parents everywhere. And um, I got my son a pinwheel. And I, and back then he loved Spider-Man. And so it was a Spider-Man pinwheel. And I said, every time you're upset, what I want you to do is breathe on the pinwheel 
and breathe slowly because I don't want him to hyperventilate, you know, and try to make it spin. And it worked because it doubled not only as a, um, as a breathing exercise, it's what I call a stop and swap. So if you're upset, it's because you're thinking thoughts that are um, making you, you spin out of control. And if you just say, stop thinking that, it's very hard just to stop because your mind wants to think about something else. Like I have a dog, Fluffy. And if I wanted to stop Fluffy from chewing on one of my shoes, I wouldn't just take away the shoe because then Fluffy might find another shoe. What I need to do is give Fluffy something else to chew on, like a bone. Here, chew on this bone. You have to not only stop it, you have to swap it. So in a weird way, it was not just a breathing exercise. I was giving my son something else to focus his busy chattering monkey mind on. And and I made it fun. And as I mentioned, fun helps. So he started to do the breathing exercise with the pinwheel. And he, mom, mom, I need my pinwheel, you know. So then I started to think about other things like this that could make meditation fun. And I found um, sensory meditations like smell, um, which I, I researched which smells were the most relaxing. And there's been studies that, you know, lavender is famous for it. Grapefruit is one that helps to relax people. Vanilla. Vanilla is used right now um, in a hospital here in New York um, where they put it inside of an MRI machine. So people that go into MRI machines don't feel as claustrophobic. So I gave my son a choice of all these different smells. I set up all the different ones and um, he sneezed when I showed him lavender. So we knew that wasn't going to be it. And then he used vanilla. And so whenever he was upset, I would give him the little thing of vanilla to smell. And then I gave him a little mantra that he, he that worked for him, whatever that situation was. So he used the scent as a grounding um, tool, as a one-pointed focus. So I started to do different things like this. And, and so I did ones with taste, with touch, with smell, with sound, and with sight. And then I realized that I was onto something. So I created a whole book. That's when Instant Calm became. These different, so easy to do that a six-year-old could do them meditations that are based on focusing on each of your, your five different senses. That's amazing. You know, really when, when you break down meditation, it's just concentration and focus, single, single-mindedness, like in flow state or, or anything like that, it's being able to pay attention and activating the senses and using the senses as a tool is really, really powerful. And it's not complicated. We're just not taking the time to do it. And I think that a lot of the questions that I get around meditation, they're very complicated. And what's the right way? How do I sit? All this kind of stuff. And one of the- and if you make it complicated, then people will be afraid to do it or they'll give up, but, but go on, go on. I'm sorry. To yeah, no, no, that's okay. It's a, it's a good point. And the one strategy that I had, and I really love how you, you took what I did and you went further with it with all of the different senses, but the, what I did in, in my books and I think was just one minute a day, start with one minute, like two minutes wow. is enough. Cause if you're yeah. not doing it at all, you don't start by running a marathon, start by walking down the street. Right. But over time, a week later, you're going to get that result in seven days. I just add a minute each day. At seven days, you could probably do seven minutes. And it's not so bad. It's not daunting. You just kind of got to, I think that's a lot of people just breaking the ice. And the way that you've done it with the senses, I think it's brilliant. Well, I think that, 
I also have a theory that people do accidental sensory meditation. So what I mean by this is um, you walk into a bakery and it smells fantastic, right? And you're just like, and you're smelling the smell. And you could feel yourself relaxed if you're like waiting in line to get your, you know, you're smelling the smell. And that's an accidental sensory meditation. Like if you go someplace that smells really good and then there's accidental um, sound meditations, obviously listening to songs that you love can do it. Um, Accidental taste meditations, I believe. I believe that if you're enjoying a really good meal and you're really tasting it, that you can just find yourself relaxing because you're so focused on what it tastes like. Like, um, I even think that coffee, ironically, um, relaxes me, even though it has caffeine in it, because taking the coffee break, if it's a really good cup of coffee, which I'm, I'm kind of a coffee snob, I like a good cup of coffee, um, you're sitting there and you're tasting it and you're really centered on the taste, which is why I think um, there are a lot of studies with you know tea ceremonies and relaxation. But there's a whole way to do that, which each of the steps in making the tea are a different kind of sensory uh, step. First, you have to look at the tea, thank the tea, smell the tea. Like you have to almost go through every sense before you taste the tea. And you're using all your, when you're, when you're looking at the beach, when you're looking at the ocean, that's a sight meditation or even listening to the sound of the ocean. That's a sound meditation. So we do sensory meditations sometimes without even knowing that we're doing them and they work. They work. Yeah, what it reminds me of, I have a friend, Charles Clay, who's an amazing guy, and he's on the podcast. I can't remember which one it is, but uh, look up Charles Clay. But one of the things that he shared with me when we first met, he's like, hey, he talks about the vacation vibration. And this is, how do you live every single day as if it's a vacation? That it's just so exciting and everything's the best. And he's hilarious. And he he lives like that. But uh, um, one of the things he said, he's like, hey, man, you want a vacation vibration your meal? I was like, yeah, right. Like, what do I got to do? He's just like, all right. Just pretend that you're a food connoisseur. You know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, it's so simple and so brilliant because how many times have we gone to eat and we don't even taste it? Even like ice cream or something delicious, I've had it where I'm distressed and I eat a whole bowl and I I didn't even taste anything. But it's just bringing mindfulness into the experience and being fully present and it just it amplifies the whole entire experience. And I remember when I was learning about mindfulness and meditation, I was like, okay, be aware, stay in the moment, stay right. And I was like, okay, stay in the moment. I was like, well, I'm in the moment for like two seconds and then I'm out of the moment. How the heck am I going to stay in the moment? And I would place all of these triggers. So it's like, what do I do consistently? I eat, I go to the bathroom, I open doors and I would find all these things. And so every door I would go through, I would be a trigger to, to be mindful. And sometimes I get two or three steps to the car then it'd be out, but then there'd be another door then be back in and then driving. And so um, it's a really great idea to, to bring us back into the present moment. I totally agree with that. Um, and it, it's if you create an anchor to something that you already do, that it helps you. Um, I just reminded many years ago, I had one with the light switch. That's like, I would think about every time I'm turning on the lights that I'm my inner light. I would think about, I haven't done that one in forever, but I created um, a chocolate meditation because so there's something in dark chocolate that helps you with your serotonin levels and everything. So I, in the book, I have one 
that you take a, a small piece of dark chocolate and you let it melt in your mouth. And for the time that it's melting, you just focus only on the taste. So you, you, you know, and so I mean, a chocolate meditation. Yeah. Hell yeah. Because it stops your busy, but you have to, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not like you're chomping it down. It's like, it's not, I'm not telling people to actually binge eat, which is quite frankly, the complete opposite when you don't even, you're not even aware of what you're eating. This is just like, I guess what you said about the food connoisseur, where you're really tasting it, you know, and just for two minutes, focus on the taste of chocolate. That's a pretty fun meditation to do. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, I like how you're making this fun because I feel like I've, I've, the way that I've done it with the martial arts background, it's always been not fun. <laughs> you know, I've consistently specifically to tr trying to do things that are not fun. Now I do think that we have to do things that are uncomfortable. You know, I recently read uh, David Goggins book, uh, can't hurt me. It's brilliant. And you know, he, in a way he's like calling out like some of the the self-help and the new age, it's great, but also there's like no hard work involved, you know, like you got to work also. But if you can find a way to do it in a fun capacity, no matter what it is, I feel like that is the premium and, and it's going to be, you're going to learn more, you're going to get more, it's going to inspire you to do work. Like when you write books, it's hard work. There's a lot of crap you've got to do that you probably don't want to do. Um, but maintaining that state of joy and fun is going to make the overall experience uh, better. So what I want to ask, because I, I know you're an expert at this, what would you say is like the principles that you found of happiness? Have you researched blue zones at all? And I oh, for, wanna, for longevity. Yeah. And I want to ask one more um, too. I'm going to throw them all at you, but okay. your top tips for um, the longevity thing, like some of the hacks that you've met. I want to make sure I get all of those out there because those are my three big ones. It's like, if I don't get all these out and I miss one, I'm going to be, be thinking about it. Okay, well, meditation, that's why I wanted to get that front and center. It, it covers longevity and it, it covers happiness. You know, if you can clear out your thoughts. We have something called telomeres uh, in our bodies. And uh, the easiest way to explain them is it's if you had a shoelace, that little plastic tip on the bottom of the shoelace is sort of what the telomeres are for you. And if that gets starts to get kind of frayed and everything, then that's how people age. So to keep your telomeres as um, strong as possible, um, it, it's they say stress. So stress is the enemy of happiness. It's the enemy of longevity. And um, so that's why I, I mentioned uh, meditations right away. Um, my next thing that I would say for longevity is um, I think that I joke uh, that sugar is a sociopath, that it comes on sweet, but it's really quite evil. And if I were to give somebody like one tool, it would be to cut back on sugar, even though I gave the chocolate meditation, because I think everything in moderation, you know? So if you're overdoing, the sugar, or if there's easy ways you can get the sugar out of your life, or to be aware of hidden sugars. Like I get really kind of miffed at companies like that say that yogurt is good for you. If it's, I look at the side of it, it's like 27 grams of sugar. I'm vitamin like, water. what? Vitamin water. Vitamin water. It's, no. <laughs> yeah, it's just I like, agree with that. 
you son of a gun. I was like, it's like there's more sugar in this than juice. And you got to look at what you're eating. <laughs> Sneaky. So I, I have people always pick up a package of something and look at the sugar content. And it could be on things that you might not even expect it on because it's sugar shows up in all different forms. So that would be one of the first things is to lower your sugar level. There are tricks to do that. Um, cinnamon. Having cinnamon helps you to crave sugar less. And a weird thing is that if you have things that are very sweet that don't have sugar in it, that's not necessarily helpful either. Um, if like, first of all, a lot of the stuff that is sugar substitutes can be dangerous also. Like aspartame, not a fan. And it's not only for me, it gave me a migraine and one time my son wanted to try gum. And so he said, I know mom, we can't do the sugar gum because he knows how mommy feels about sugar. So we picked up one and he had a couple pieces because he was so into it. And then he started to feel a heart palpitation. I looked on the side, aspartame. So not a fan. Plus studies show that if you could just stop eating as much sugar as you're eating for a while, you change your interest level in sugar and eventually things start to taste too sweet. So that's happened to me. Like I now look at things that are wildly sweet looking and I'm like, too sweet, too sweet. So if you can cut back your sugar for at least 30 days, then you will naturally not crave it as much. And if you have too many things that are sugar substitute type things, your brain still gets addicted to that, ooh, must have something sweet, must have something sweet. So it, this, yes. I was just going to say, what is your best sugar or sweet substitute? So mine is honey. I don't really crave a lot of sweet stuff, but honey is okay. Aspartame, honey, all that stuff. But I know that there's some other ones too. Is coconut sugar okay? It feels better, but I don't know if it's better. It's it's probably a little better, but it's still sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it get a pull pass? It's like a hard yellow orange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I when I want to get my my sweet stuff going, I do blueberries, I do strawberries, I do I do berries is what I do. So, cool. and and but I'm telling you, you will shift your cravings for it if you could get through 30 days without it. And then once, if you break it, like if you break it and you suddenly have, have a lot again, then you want more, you want it to be sweeter and sweeter and sweeter, you know, and there's a way you can get addicted to sugar. Mark Hyman says that sugar is the new cigarettes and that people can get addicted to sugar and you become the feeling of craving it is according to Mark Hyman is like the same as craving cocaine. 100%. Sugar's super addictive. And it's terrible for you. It's terrible. Every disease, every, I mean, it's like, I don't even get, that's why I want to name that one front and center is to watch out for the sugar because I don't even think that's that controversial because my next one might be controversial. So I wanted to start with one that wasn't completely controversial and say sugar, but I have cut back on, on red meat and, and actually white meat, pretty much all meat. I'm fans are just going nuts right now. What, what's happening? I said, I said Joe, Joe Rogan fans are going nuts right now. They're just like, oh, nah. no, I'm just kidding. He, he's different. He says meat, but he gets his own meat in, in a different way. I'm just messing with you. No, I know. It's a little controversial. And, um, and 
Uh, and you also have to make sure that you're still getting protein. But in many ways, the hype over protein, sometimes it's gotten a little bit extra hype. We, you just, you need protein, but you don't need as much as what the media has played out that we need. So, um, I mean, it's funny, I'm going to say, if you don't want to go cold turkey or cold beef or cold, you know, chicken, um, just cut back a lot because there's so many studies that, that, you know, consistently report that people that don't eat meat or eat a lot less meat, um, live longer. So I'm what I call, I'm a pesca egatarian because I mainly eat fish, but I do have eggs every once in a while because there's some things in eggs that I need. And, um, and, uh, and I also believe that everything in moderation, if you're too extreme, you could be extreme at being vegan or vegetarian and wind up hurting your health. So I'm kind of, I kind of mix, you know, I allow myself. And also, you know, if you make something verboten for too much, then that, you know, so I, I allow myself a little wiggle room. Yeah, I think it's a really great point. What I've noticed is, is it's too much of one thing where people who are getting meats, they're eating red meats all of the time. And there are so many great substitutes. Like I just pulled it up real quick because I know a few, but um, hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, uh, yogurts, lentils, kidney beans, green yes. beans. Uh, there are so almonds. There's so many great um, diets out there. My friend's uh, wife is a dietitian. Shout out Roz Wilson. Uh, she's uh-huh. awesome. And I'm always I'm studying food and trying to you know be fit and all this stuff. And I make this smoothie I'm really proud of. And she's like, how many fruits are in there? And we're talking about it. And it's like 40 fruits or something, something stupid. She's like, your body can only digest like, I don't know, five or something that she said. It's like, it's too many. So then she taught me how to make you know green smoothies. And basically her number one thing is moderation. And my other friend who's on the podcast, uh, Power of Food, Adam Hart, he was one of the originals, maybe like episode number six, really brilliant guy, changed his health. But he's like, add seeds. That was his big thing. He's like, you can get so many because it's about the nutrients, right? And we're talking about sugar and stuff like that. Yeah. There's no nutrients in that. You know, yeah. so the seeds allow you nutrients. So when you cut back and you find these substitutes, a little bit of vegetables, some fruit, you know what I mean? Some almonds, some nuts and seeds and uh, some food here and there. And if you can transform your diet, it changes your psychology. It changes the way you think, it changes the way you operate, the way you can focus, how stressed you are. And that's why people, it's interesting how the mind and the body work because once you have too much sugar and stress, it becomes this loop of one, uh, what's, what's the dopamine? Is it dopamine or something else that triggers through like the sugar or whatever, but it's one of those chemical reactions and you're just going for that. So you go for the cheeseburger, then you go for the pop, then you're stressed out at work. And the and only way to get all put in ingredients yeah, um, to, to make things addictive. And some of yes. the processed foods that are out there, yep. they purposefully put it in. And those have sugar too. You might think bag of chips, whatever, but that turns into sugar in your body. So you want to, the goal is to keep your body as alkaline as possible. And that's why also meat can kind of mess with your alkaline levels. Dairy, which again, is a little controversial. I know there are going to be people, but I'm not big on dairy either. But again, everything in moderation. So, um, and you have to make sure that you're still getting uh, your your calcium and your vitamin D somehow. So everything, when you take out one thing, you have to make sure you're compensating. Um, I remember reading that walnuts are good for the brain. And a good way to remember that is it kind of looks like a little brain. 
walnut looks like a little grain. So I kind of, at one, at one point I was just like almonds. And, and then I was only eating almonds. And I'm like, no, I want to vary my nuts. So I get my nuts from a couple different sources because they all have different vitamins, nutrients, and all of that. And then I read about walnuts and I love walnuts. So that's one of mine. Yeah, I totally agree. And so the one thing that I want to ask too, with, with all this research on happiness, I, I asked a little bit about blue zones, but have you seen anything um, out there as far as research goes on how we might be able to assist in happiness for our community, like our family life? Community? Oh, there's a lot in that in the blue zones. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, one of the blue zones, they say that you should not eat until you're full. So uh, that's one of the principles. But as far as uh, the blue zones say to to have things that you're looking forward to and to be around people that you love, community, that um, that if, as long as you have friends, uh, loved ones, that you know, if you're in a happy marriage, that helps you to live longer. Um, and all of the Blue Zones, it's fascinating how they share a lot of these things in common. Having the community, having loved ones, having a... a passion and purpose. And there's been a lot of studies on uh, delay when you retire, delay when you expire, like having things that you love doing. I mean, part of, I think the secret of Betty White's sparkle and magical thing is she's like out there doing stuff still. She's not retired. So I want to keep on working. You know, I, I definitely want to keep on working for a while doing things that I love. And um, so that's some of the stuff from the blue zone. Amazing. Well, you know, I think all of this has been super practical. The number one studies and, and information that I've seen around happiness, stress, long, or longevity, it's all one same thing, is stress and anxiety. Like stress and, and being in a stressful state usually has to do with crap diet and it just everything else goes nuts. Sugar, obviously too much alcohol, addictions like that. But I think it really is the simple stuff that people don't want to hear sometimes. Learn how to meditate and or quiet your mind and or focus your mind. You could wake up and paint. I don't care. Just something that's going to uh, hold your attention. Look I at totally things in your life that. that are super stressful. In, in my book, um, Instant Calm, I have um, doodling as something that helps people to relax. And, you know, if you've ever, if you think back to school, you would doodle and it is kind of stressful. Well, there, there's a whole purposeful doodling that you can do when you're stressed out and just kind of feel where it's going. That's one of them. I also have this other fun one that I'll mention, um, which I'm excited about. I call it med dot Tate instead of meditation, meditation, right? And originally it was developed for my son, but it works for adults too. And it's in Instant Calm where, do you know those famous um, optical illusion uh, images where there's a dot in the middle of an image and then you stare at the dot for like two minutes and then you look at something white and then you see a kind of an optical illusion effect where that is. So there, there could be a, a woman's face that's kind of black and white. And then you stare at the dot. And then when you stare at something white, you see her face fully fleshed out. It's like crazy pants. And so I developed a couple of these that I put into the book that um, I started doing them with my son because you get the little bonus reward and, and it's a way you want to do well, you want to succeed. And it's something fun. It's like it gamifies it. If you can gamify something. So I call it meditation and that's in the book as well. And it's a great way to, you know, create a one pointed focus that you want to do. 
Yep, a hundred percent. Anyway, and and I think too, it's so important that you're talking about teaching this to kids. The same processes that work for kids will mostly likely work for adults. And the thing is that most the adults now, if you're over, if you're over ten and you didn't get taught this by your parents, we probably weren't taught this stuff. And I so never it's taught. It's harder going back. So the same thing applies to learn these simple things that that we weren't taught, and they, they will make a world of difference in your psychology, and your health, and your emotional state, and your quality of life. Um, yeah. Well, you've shared so much amazing information. Um, you know, I love this episode. I w- I want to honor your time because I know we've been going for an hour, but you know, it's very practical advice. And I think that your story is really inspiring and it, and it highlights a lot of things that are necessary if you want to move in that direction towards more inspiration, more fulfillment, more happiness, because it's not anything like really fancy or really out there or really esoteric. It doesn't have to be complicated. It really is simple. It's just doing the small things and having the courage to take action towards what your inspiration is. And you're going to have your own story develop. You're going to have your own flow develop, your own magical experience what Marissa Tomei calls you on the phone. You know, and (laughs) and those things are possible, but it does take courage for you to take action. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. But I also wanted to ask you, is there anything that you wish that I'd asked you or that you want Uh to talk about before we end? And you can feel free to go on as long as you wish. Oh, wow. Um, well, I, I guess I would end with that, um, I, gosh, well, maybe, maybe, uh, something about what I think, uh, that there's a difference between happiness and pleasure. Yes. And that's a big thing for me. Um, remember when I said I read boring things and then I try to make it fun? I read a lot of like dense Aristotle stuff and I love his stuff, but I try to repeat it back so it's fun. And Aristotle said back in his day, I see him as sort of the world's first self-help book author. And he said that the reason why so many people are unhappy is that they confuse happiness and pleasure. And pleasure is about immediate gratification. And happiness is about effort, the word effort that you talk. And it's about doing things for the long term of growing into your best self. And I believe that we're here on this planet to learn the lessons to become our best self. So part of when something goes wrong in my life and there's a challenge, I immediately look at it sort of as um, a warrior, not a warrior, where I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to be learning right now? How is this working for me? not against me. How am I going to, what is something potentially good that I can make out of this? How can I zigzag my way to happiness? And I look for the lessons. And um, and there's a whole study now called emo diversity, which is really interesting, that people who have emotionally diverse feelings uh, wind up being happier in the long term and don't have as much deep down depression. That the, um, that the, urge to be happy all the time can actually make you miserable. That you have to allow yourself to feel all your emotions, think of them as messages, embrace them, get what you can from them, the lessons, the insights, and then let it go. But to allow yourself to have an emotionally diverse life where you can feel the pain 
feel richness of the landscape of, of our world and then come away and not try to be happy all the time and um, to see everything as an opportunity that teaches you a, a lesson to help you to become your best self. And that's why we're here. And I believe that. So that would be one of the things that I would want to leave, leave with, which is, you know, a whole nother conversation, but that's sort of, I, you know, that's kind of one of my main philosophies. And it's to begin with the ends in mind, as Aristotle says, and as you might say, setting the intention for everything little to begin with the end. What is my intention for writing a book? What is my intention for, um, this conversation with you. What is my intention for my whole life? To begin with the ends in mind, like where you want to be when you're on your deathbed, what you want your your life purpose. It's all about education of the soul. And that's why it's important to do a job that is for your soul, for your, you know, we are here to become our best, highest potential unique self. And anything that feeds into that embrace the struggle if it helps you in the long term to help you to become and now I'm just kind of but this is it's such a rich topic but this is what if I were to share one of my core philosophies on happiness that's what it would be yeah that's amazing how did you phrase it the best unique highest self would you say something like that yeah <laughs> yeah that's, yeah and that's why it's important to go through the risk leave a job that isn't um, serving your highest good. And, and you being your highest good helps the world because then you get to offer that. Um, and, and so, um, and as a mom, I want to raise my son to, this goes back to that, to be true to who his inner self is and not to force what I want for him onto his life. You know, but to guide him, make him keep him from, you know, again, everything in moderation. You're still here as a parent to, you know, help to um, keep the child awake to the dangers of things and all of that. But to really um, help people to feel safe to be their true self. Amazing. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. And and you really succinctly uh, gave a lot of incredible principles that I think that are, again, I think that the stuff that I've read in Zen and personal development, spirituality, they're simple, but they're not always easy because the external world is always tugging you in a certain way. And, you know, people have expectations and your mind can also be crazy in in different ways. But, you know, if you can apply those simple things that you shared about meditation and, and, you know, honoring yourself and just being aware of what you eat, just like simple stuff, you can really have a powerful impact on how you navigate your experience on this planet. And meditation helps you to find the lesson in your struggle. So if you are dealing with a challenge, part of the stress is, um, part of the stress is you're thinking, um, my pain today is going to be pain forever. You're thinking it's permanent and pervasive. And um, when you meditate, you, you sometimes get the epiphanies for solutions or new paths or the lesson, and you change your interpretation of the pain that you're in. You no longer see it as permanent, pervasive. You see the gain in your pain. You see solutions. You see you, you see faith. You see that glimmer of faith. So meditation helps with that as well, those insights, those epiphanies. 
Yep, 100%. You got to be able to quiet the mind. Einstein said the same mind that came up with the problem is not going to find the solution. And there's so many studies about people going into meditative states or napping or things like that to to solve a problem. So very important stuff. I'm going to throw out one last bonus question. What's your number one tip for parents that you've learned in raising your child and all this stuff that you know? Um, this is like a whole nother topic. No, no. <laughs> Well, I, I guess I would say um, I want my son, one of my things that I do, I instead of telling my son something like, you know, I want him to have the internal drive. So if he does something that's, um, you know, misbehaving, I say the sentence, I go, what's a better choice right now? And I make him come up with it. What's the better? I want his little inner mind to feel like he can come. And then it's up to him. So then when he's, I'm not around, he's going to have, like I'm setting that up in his mind. So what's a better choice right now? Rather than like, Ari, you're very loud. What's a better choice right now? You know, or Ari, you're blah, 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 blah. What's a better choice right now? You know, so I kind of get his little, you know, neurons going and coming up with his own. So it's an inner drive within rather than a mom. So that would be one of my little things that I do with him. I say to him, what's a better choice right now? Yeah, I think that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think this was amazing and and really just practical, useful information. Um, Thank you for following your own courage to you know, follow your inspiration, make all the books um, and, and do what you're doing in the world. Um, yeah, that's it. Just thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're a really fun interviewer. So thank you for making this like a, a great experience. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you and, and everyone listening. Thanks for watching. Peace. There it is, guys, the absolutely phenomenal Karen Salmonson. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I invite you to check out her work, her books. This was so practical, and there's so much great information. Please share this with your friends. Tag your friends. Uh, take a screenshot. Tag me at Matt Belair on Facebook. Tag Karen. Uh, support her work. She's really amazing. I want to thank everybody who supported the show by leaving a review, uh, becoming a patron. You don't need to um, contribute a lot, just something you don't even think about, like a dollar. Um, it's totally fine if a small percentage of you do that it helps immensely immensely so go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair toss a buck in the bucket if you want to support but the best thing that you can do is one kind act for someone today go out of your way to do it um even better three kind acts a day for a week and uh, you'll probably get a universal wink something weird will happen to you just for you to let you know that this is what it's all about this is uh embodying spiritual knowledge each and every day no matter where you are on your journey and just remember wherever you are is enough you're amazing you're connected you're infinite you are marvelous just as you are in the growth process and we are all in the growth process and uh that wraps that up so um i invite you to check out pro vocabulary my sponsor today use the code word magic for a hundred dollar discount it is a very uh, empowering course i take a lot of personal development courses and i definitely put this one um, as far as practicality as far as helping you in many different ways like uh, effectively helping you i put this course as one of my favorite courses i've ever taken so simple the power of word is something that we all need to master and i'm actually going through and doing a refresher because i remember learning so much and being like holy crap studied NLP and all that other stuff and still like the way that they've distilled language and how to massively and 
dramatically increase my awareness around my language and how I use it and the results I get. So definitely check them out, uh, procabulary.org, and uh, Word Magic is your checkout code. So that's going to wrap it up. Go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list. If you want some coaching and you want to go deep dive in consciousness, personal development, visualization, meditation, hypnosis, you want to experience a heart journey, hypnosis session, hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. Happily help you out. Leave a review in iTunes, please. And uh, I'm going to wrap it up and get out of here. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, just stop for a moment. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, compassion, energy, contentment, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.